In today's episode of the Breaking the Game show on Dash Radio, host Kenneth is joined by Cole Rains as they break down the Central Division in the Eastern Conference, as well as talk about Kenneth's top 50 through 26 players heading into the 2021-2022 season. Let's get right into the show. What is going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Breaking the Game show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm your host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell. Still no Steven, which means I need someone to co-host this ship here tonight. And so I'm joined here today by the host of the Nothing But Airtime podcast and a writer at Off the Ball Network. That is Cole Rains. Cole, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Ken. How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. Happy I could help out. So, Oh, yeah. Really excited for the show. Obviously, we're still in the off season, so we've still got a couple months until the NBA season tips off, but that doesn't mean there's not plenty to talk about. We've got free agency that's happened. We've had summer league already, and so we're going to be talking tonight about the Central Division as well as getting into my top 50 through 26 players in the NBA, which means that it's a jam-packed show here tonight. So, I want to remind our listeners that this show is sponsored by MyBookie. Use promo code OFFTHEBALL in all caps at sign up, and MyBookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit up to $1,000. Sign up and let's win big. So we're getting right into things by talking about the Central Division. So Cole, you're a fan of this division. So what did you make of, first of all, how the season ended last year, and what did you make of some of the moves that teams made? You know, how the season ended last year was kind of surreal being in Milwaukee for the college. Uh, I go to school downtown Milwaukee, about a block away from the Fi service where I'm currently residing. So they got all the signs up. They got all the flags. It was kind of a surreal moment. I, I know uh, it, it was it was kind of came with some luck, but it happens in all championships. And I, I'm excited for next season with this Bucks team. I really they didn't do a ton, but they did enough, I think, to con- continue contending. So. Definitely. I mean, if we're ta- we're going to get right into things by talking about how the divisions broke down. So some might say it was the weakest division in basketball, except for the fact that they have the NBA champs. So are they really that weak of a division when you've got them at 46 and 26 last year? You had Indiana missing the playoffs at 34 and 38, Chicago at 31 and 41. And then you've got Cleveland and Detroit at the bottom at 22 wins and 20 wins respectively. So Let's talk about the Bucks. I mean, they lost a couple key players. They brought some guys in. What did you make of Milwaukee's offseason as a whole? I, obviously, you said they lost a couple. I think the key loss was P.J. Tucker. Um, P.J. Tucker kind of brought that dog mentality. He called it in the uh, championship parade. He brought it to guys like Bobby Portis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that's great. He goes to Miami now. Might be a little difficult. Everyone's saying he's going to be a Giannis stopper there. I don't think he was as big of a loss as what people think. You know, he was one of the worst players in basketball before he was acquired by the Bucs. He turned out playoffs. He was getting, I mean, obviously guarding Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, you're going to give up points, but the amount of points he was giving up, he's no longer the P.J. Tucker that was playing with James Harden a couple years ago. He's not hitting the three-point 
uh, shots that he was in Houston as uh, as effectively now. So I don't I don't see that as a loss. Brent Forbes, yeah, he was a nice piece off the bench, but what they got in return for him, I think, is a better player. Grayson Allen is a, I think, going to be a player that people are going to be like, oh my god, how the Bucks get him? Because he's going to he plays defense, he hits threes, and now you have him and Dante at the two guard where you t- those two can kind of complement off each other and they can – Dante's coming off a big injury. They can kind of split minutes evenly. So I- I'm excited to see that uh, trade. And I'm also excited to see George Hill back. I love George Hill when, before he left. He's played with Giannis, familiar with the system. So I, I-, I like that. And then obviously Bobby Portis resigning is huge for Milwaukee. So I, I-, I like the Roth season. Not-, not any big names, but they did what they needed to do as a championship. No, I like what you said about PJ Tucker because I think the name carries more value than what the player caliber of player is now. Now, obviously, he started for Milwaukee last year, but as you said, he it wasn't like he was he was a stopper of any sort. Like he's still a solid defender, but I don't think he's the player that he used to be. And so, yes, losing him is a bit of a loss. But I mean, the players that you brought in, you talked about Grace now, and I think it's one of the underrated moves of the offseason because you look at the year that he had in Memphis. I think people, they let the stigma of him in college really cloud how how well he's played in the NBA. And he's done a very solid job for them. I'm curious to see Rodney Hood because he's a player that a few years ago, he he looked really good and then he had the major injury. So he's a player that could be a great signing. He could be a guy that doesn't see very many minutes, but what he does provide is shooting. And that's something that Milwaukee needs. You you always need shooters in the league. And I think he does a great job of that. Semi Ojale, another guy that I'm curious to see what his role is going to be in this team. And then you got George Hill as well. So overall, I think Milwaukee had a good offseason. They just didn't make the moves that you saw like a Brooklyn make that you saw like the Lakers were loading up. They didn't load up like that. But what they did do was I think maintain. And when you're the champs, I mean, we you said it at the beginning, if you can call it luck, you can call it whatever you want, but you have to beat the champs ultimately. And I think running it back with this group, they have a really good opportunity to get back to the NBA finals. Then the rest of the division, it, it's a bit puzzling for me. So we'll start with Indiana, a team that just missed out. Um, no major moves for them this offseason. You know, Doug McDermott, they lost. They lost Aaron Holiday, sent him to Washington. They brought in Tory Craig, who I think is going to be a solid role player, but I don't think he's going to see a ton of minutes in that team with the rotations that they run. And then you drafted Chris Duarte, which to me, that was probably the worst draft pick for them because they needed to hit on a guy that was a boomer bust because they don't have a lot outside of Sabonis, Brogdon, and Levert. So when you're drafting an older Duarte at 24, that was my concern with them. And then Isaiah Jackson as well. What did you make of the Pacers? I, I, I personally wanted the Pacers to go all in on a guy like Cam Thomas. I thought that would have been a great pick for them. You mentioned the boomer bust. He can score. He could play alongside Brogdon. I, I would have loved that uh, draft. The Duarte pick confused me as well. Um, Pacers, I know they just brought in Rick Carlisle. I don't know if that moves the needle enough for me. You know, they still have Sabonis. They still have Turner. There will be trade rumors around both of those players the entirety of the year. We've seen it for the past couple of years. Brogdon's going to play 50 games and deal with foot injuries and because that's what Brogdon does. I don't I, – I have them as the third best team in the division. I don't, I don't see how they – I think the second best team in the division, I'm assuming we'll get to them next. They made a, a conscious effort to go into a win-now mode with the star on their team that I think is better – than all of the other stars 
kind of preluding towards the 50 to 26 where you thought that too. So I, I that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Indiana, they needed to decide this offseason, like, okay, are we going after trying to get back into that top six in the East? Are we going into full-on rebuild? Because if it is the rebuild, then they need to start shopping the Sabonis and Turner moves. And I think that's why you're going to see those trade rumors this season, because Indiana is going to hover around probably the 7 to 11 range throughout the year, because I think the Eastern Conference is going to be tight down near the bottom. And so, yeah, those rumors are going to swirl. And are they going to eventually pull the trigger? Or are they going to hope that they can get in via a play-in game, which doesn't get them any closer to winning a championship? Because then you're going to get a Milwaukee, a Brooklyn in the first round. You're done in four or five games. And then what are you left with? You're left with a, a mid-tier draft pick again. And then you would hope that they wouldn't go and draft the oldest player in the draft again, which to go back to the Duarte pick. And I mean, people, people will crap on me because I'm Canadian. So therefore I should love Chris Duarte because he's a Canadian, but I just think there were better teams for him. I love the fact that you mentioned Cam Thomas because we saw him in summer league and looks exactly as advertised a guy that they really could have used in Indiana because defensively they're solid. There's just, they need more consistent scoring from a lot of guys. And I think Thomas could have brought that as a rookie. Then we go into Chicago and, we're talking about massive turnover for the Bulls. I mean, they have essentially a new roster outside of Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. So what did you make of the Bulls offseason? You know, I I want to say this. Getting rid of Thaddeus Young, getting rid of Otto Porter Jr., getting rid of Laurie Markkinen, that shows that you're clearly devoted to Patrick Williams. I think Patrick Williams is going to take that step as an all-NBA caliber defender, all-NBA defensive team, excuse me, I think you're going to see his name kind of float around around that end of the season where he's like, hey, we should respect what this guy's doing. He's not going to bring much to the table offensively, but I love that the fact that they're going all in on the kid they drafted last year. I'm interested to see the guard rotation. And a lot of friends are from Chicago. I, I talked about it. You have five guards there. You drafted AO, you signed Caruso, you still have Levine, Kobe White's still there, and so is Lonzo Ball. I, I feel like one or two of those names are going to get kind of get lost in the shuffle, and I think the one that is definitely going to get lost in the shuffle is Kobe White. So I'm interested to see the guard rotation. But I, all that being said, they have a ton of primary ball handers across the board. Vukovic, DeMar DeRozan's a better ball uh, playmaking uh, forward. Lonzo's a good playmaker. Levine's a good playmaker. You have playmaker across the board, something you didn't see in Chicago the past few years. I'm excited to see Billy Donovan at the helm. I think this is definitely a five to six seed range team and maybe maybe just maybe getting into the second round of the playoffs before getting ran off by a Booker or a, a Milwaukee. Yeah, this is a team that I wouldn't want to face in the playoffs, even if I am a Brooklyn or Milwaukee because they have so much depth here. I mean, we'll talk about the turnover of, yeah, you shipped out Aminu, you shipped out Young obviously getting DeRozan, you ship out Markkinen, which I think is a good thing. Obviously the name, it's another one. The name carries a lot more recognition than what he truly is, which is a guy that's rarely on the floor. And when you're a team that's not in the playoff hunt, you can't afford to have guys like that there. So I think it was smart deciding to finally move on from Markkinen. You obviously move Sadoransky and Temple for the Lonzo deal. You move Tice to the Rockets. So they moved out a lot of guys and Lonzo Ball, this is going to be a, a, a great fit for him, I think. Um, the only issue is Levine and, and DeRozan are going to command the ball quite a bit. So can Lonzo pick his spots? He's become a better three-point shooter, so I think that really helps for him in this offense. We talked about Alex Caruso. I agree with you on the Kobe White point because 
I don't think you sign Alex Caruso to that kind of money if you're sold on Kobe White because what's the need for him then? So I do think he's going to get lost in the shuffle a bit there. Um, Drafting Ao once again, why are you going to draft that guy if you don't have an intention of playing him? So Ao is going to compete with Kobe for those second unit minutes. And then Derek Jones getting brought in from Portland as well. Another sneaky good move that Chicago made. And I think people are still sleeping on Chicago. I'm seeing a lot of seven, eight, nine seed. And I see more so that five or six seed. Because if we're talking about Zach Levine, a first-time All-Star that was phenomenal last year, and then you're adding DeMar DeRozan, who got snubbed last year for Mike Conley, and you got Vucevic, you got Lonzo. Like, there's plenty of talent there. There's depth there. I think that's a five or six seed in the Eastern Conference as well. So I'm really curious to see where they end up. Then we move over to Cleveland, the team that was fourth in the division last year. Big turnover there as well. I mean, they moved on from a lot of guys that have been there for a while. Like they moved on from Del Vadova, didn't bring back Larry Nance. They let him go to Portland. Toreen Prince just never really fit there. And he was a guy a number of years ago that a lot of people were really high on. And now he kind of seems to be bouncing from team to team. And then they go and add Markkanen, which how they're going to find minutes for Markkanen, Love, Mobley, and Allen. I mean, that's a lot of bigs that are going to want a lot of minutes. And they're going to have to decide, okay, are we going to give Evan Mobley the minutes that he needs in order to potentially flourish as a superstar? Or are we going to revert to a Markkanen who's more of a veteran, Jared Allen, who they just gave five years, $100 million to? I think the contract's justified given what he provides. I just don't know if it was the best fit for him, given the rotation that they have. And then they also brought in Ricky Rubio, who's going to play minutes with Garland, going to play minutes with Sexton. So Cleveland's in an interesting spot, and and I wish that they would have gone more of the small forward route because that still appears to be the big hole for this team. So what do you make of Cleveland? I'm glad you brought up the Lori move. That made me scratch my head a little bit too because I feel like Larry Nance is kind of the perfect fit for what they are kind of looking for. He can be that three to four. He's played at both forward positions. He kind of makes up for defensively what uh, a a young Mobley would bring or a a Garland or a Sexton would as a guard position. He shoots the ball well from three. I think Larry Nance is a better player than Lori Markinen. I think he's a better fit for the Cavs. I get why they brought I, I don't I'm not gonna say I get why they brought in Lori because I don't get why they brought in Lori. You have Mobley, you have Jared Allen, you have Love, like you said. So you can bring in you keep Nance, he kind of protects a coral a little bit. A coral is kind of unpolished. It, it would have made more sense to me. So I'm still scratching my head about the Lori move, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the lineup of Garland, Sexton, a coral, Mobley, and Allen, I think is gonna be one of the more fun lineups to watch. You know, we saw Sexton a couple of games last year take it to the Nets kind of has that bulldog mentality. He gets hot quick. Garland can get hot. I like Okoro. He's kind of offensive games developing a little bit. Mobley's a very, very exciting young piece. And then obviously you mentioned Jared Allen, defensive presence. I love watching what he does on the floor. So they're going to be a fun team to watch. It'll be a fun, bad team to watch. I don't think they're a playoff team yet, maybe a year or two away. So, I mean, when I look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, like even teams that are kind of on the downward spiral, like you're talking about the Torontos of the world, that's still a better team than what Cleveland has now. But as you said, like this is a team that's on the, on the up. If Mobley is as advertised, you could see this turned around in a few years, but they still need to address that small forward spot. I like a Coro too, especially from the defensive side, but I do think they need to get some more depth there. Markkinen doesn't make any sense there. I don't think he's going to be there very long. And Kevin Love has no intention of getting bought out. So 
that kind of stuck with him for the next couple of years as well. And we'll see how many minutes he actually wants to play for this team moving forward. And then the last team we're going to talk about the Detroit Pistons. And I mean, the whole off season for them centers around Cade Cunningham, but there was a lot of moves that they made. So what did you make of Detroit's off season? You know, obviously the easy one would be Cade, like you said, but I, a move I really liked was the re-signing of Hamadou Diallo. Hammy is a good four. He's a good slasher on the wing. He's developed ever since getting drafted in 2018. He was a restricted free agent. They have control over him. It was the right move. He adds that kind of six-man score off the bench. He can shoot the three a little bit. So I, I, I liked that move. Um I liked Luca Garza draft pick too. I know it's going to get some eyebrows raised, but Luca can shoot. He's got a good feel around the rim. Something you want to see in a modern big man. So I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for this Pistons team. They're young. They're fun. You got Killian Hazer, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant still there. Jeremy Grant took a step last year. So I, it should be another fun, bad team. Like I said, with Cleveland, I think they're a very comparable team to Cleveland heading into next season. Yeah, I mean, they did lose Dumbuya, they did lose Ellington, Okafor, Plumley. So there was a lot of turnover there. The only piece, though, there that I really saw making a significant impact was Plumley for that roster. And when you have as many bigs as they do in Detroit, there's really, he's kind of the odd man out there. So I was okay with them moving on from him. You draft Cade. I like Isaiah Livers. I want to see what he's going to do with this team. Um, he obviously got hurt at Michigan last year, but if he can bounce back in a big way, that would help them. Luca Garza, I don't know if he's even going to see a lot of minutes. A lot of people talked about how good he was in summer league, but there's a huge difference once you get to the NBA. So if he gets some minutes, potentially a bench score for them, you got Deandre Jordan there. I don't think he has a lot left. I don't see him being there long-term Lyles Olinick was a big contract, but I think it's an okay contract given the fact that they're not in win now mode. Like they're just, they're a team that they they can afford to pay him because they're not too worried about the salary cap right now. And I think by the time they have to start paying some of these guys, it's going to be okay for a Linux. So that's how the division broke down as far as the off seasons go. Now, I think we know who the team that took the significant leap was. It was the Chicago Bulls. Who would be the team for you that you think regressed the most in the division? Regress them. I, I think it is Indiana. I think Indiana, they, the, the fact that they didn't make any moves and whether it be tearing it down or going all in, I think Indiana was that team. So I, I don't know. I think it has to be Indiana just because at least Cleveland and Detroit brought in young pieces that are going to help move the franchise forward. But Indiana staying still when you miss the playoffs to me, that's just a regression, especially when you have those other players. So with that, we're going to get into how we think the division's going to finish. So, Cole, I'll let you go first, one through five. How do you think this division's going to play out next year? I, I'm going to say Milwaukee one. I think that's a, a given for both of us. But I'm going to have Chicago, too. I, all the moves they made, I like Billy Donovan. They're going to have a, a defensive presence now. They didn't have last year with Lonzo at the helm. Um, head of the snake a little bit. So I, I go Chicago two, Indiana three, just because I think they're better than both the Cavs and Pistons. But I don't think they're going to make the playoffs and I have Cavs four just because they have Sexton, Garland, Allen, they have some proven talent and then Pistons five. So yeah, I agree with you on the first three. I mean, when we're looking at Milwaukee defending champs that kept their big three, like they might have two of the three best players in the division on their team right now, if not three out of four, given how well they played. So I got to give it to Milwaukee at one. We're talking about Chicago at two. 
a lot of moves made, but a lot of quality pieces brought in, and they ditched the pieces that were not going to help them moving forward. Indiana is three, but it's mostly just because these other two teams need more time. I think they're in a way better position for a couple years down the road, but as of right now, there's no way that that they're ahead of Indiana for me. I do think Detroit is going to leapfrog Cleveland this year, but I think it's more so to do with, like we were touching on marketing. My concern is, is he going to bog up the minutes and are they going to just run into issues with that? Whereas I think Detroit's going to have a pretty set lineup. Olenek's going to come in and probably be a 15 point per game guy. You've got Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham. He's going to be gunning for rookie of the year as well. So a lot of pieces. And I like Sadiq Bay. You touched on him and I didn't during it. And he's a guy that I, I would look at as a potential most improved candidate because he showed a ton of promise as a rookie. He hits the three really well. And he's going to get plenty of minutes in Detroit. So that would be a player to watch out for me there. And then Cleveland at five, just because of the marketing situation. Boy, I just wish that he would have went to a different team pretty much anywhere in the NBA. And I would have been okay with it. I, I was shocked at just how much money he made with Cleveland too. Like I, like I, I don't think anybody else was going to pay him that much. And I think that's why I ended up in Cleveland. But I, I was like, I was trying to scratch my brain thinking where he would have fit better. And I don't know. I don't know. So. It has to be a money thing, and unfortunately for Cleveland, they're in the state where they have to overpay. See Kevin Love on the roster as an example of that, but uh, that's our division breakdown for the Central Division. Really looking forward to watching it this year. I hope the Bucks can get back. I hope it's not a one-year thing for them. They've got a ton of quality players there, and I think Chicago is going to be a fun playoff team to watch, and even the teams at the bottom, just a lot of fun young players to watch. So with that, we're heading over now. It is time for the top 100 players list. Now, last week was all about Steven's list, and he wasn't there to defend himself, but I think we went pretty easy on his list, uh, especially since it was just a really quality list with a lot of names on there. Uh, there's going to be a lot of those same names on my list here tonight in some different spots. So we're going to break it down 50 through 26 tonight. I'm going to give my, my reasoning for the first five players, and then Cole's going to give his reaction to them. So starting off at number 50 is Clint Capella. He's a 15 and 14 guy. He was a 59% shooter last year. I just think he's in a perfect situation in Atlanta. The role that he plays and being able to work the pick and roll with Trey Young, he does all of the rim protection, the rebounding that they need because Collins isn't necessarily as much of a rebounder as Capella is. And it allows him to get out in transition because I think he's really quality in transition for them. So Clint Capella, for me, I think he's one of the more promising centers in the NBA that you tend to forget about because not only is he on the Hawks, but when you're talking about the Hawks, everything is about Trey Young, John Collins, the young pieces like Cam Reddish. But Clint Capella, for me, is just a really solid center, and that's why I have him at number 50. Jamal Murray at 49. So I said last week Stephen had him at 36. I said I wasn't as high because of the injury. I mean, we know that when Jamal Murray is healthy, he's a top 30 player in the league. He's just that good. We saw him in the bubble, how well he played, 21-5-4 last year. You just have to put him lower because of the injury. And it's not just I've, – I've put players on this list that are injured, like Clay Thompson and others, but Jamal Murray is going to miss a significant portion of the season next year. So I think when he comes back, he's still the 49th most impactful player in the NBA, even if he's coming back at 80, 90% of what he was. So that's why I had Jamal Murray at 49. 
48 is Mike Connolly Jr., who finally got into the All-Star game last year, even though it was more so to do with team success than anything else. And that takes nothing away from the quality of player that he is. He was a 16-6-3 guy, 44% shooter. I think he's the perfect running mate for Donovan Mitchell because he doesn't require the ball all the time. It allows Donovan to do his thing. But if he has to drive and dish, Connolly is one of the better three-point shooters in the league. So I think it is really quality player in Mike Connolly at 48. At 47, I've got Malcolm Brogdon. It's wrong on the graphic. My mistake. Malcolm Brogdon at 47. Steven had him at 40. Criminally underrated player. The only reason why I have him a bit lower, you mentioned it when we were talking about Indiana. He He's going to miss some time. Like it's just the way that his body has already broken down that young in his career. So when he's playing 21, five and five, obviously a quality player. Um, and at 46, Fred Van Vliet. I mean, Clay hasn't, I like, for me, I just really like Van Vliet. I know that he's on the Raptors. It's a team that's kind of on the downturn, but we saw Van Vliet drop over 50 points last year for them. He's one of the better three-point shooting guards in the league. So overall for me, Malcolm Brog, or Fred Van Vliet at 46. So 50 through 46. What do you make of the list? Who are some players you're a bit higher on, lower on? What are your thoughts? I, I think you have Brogdon in, in the correct spot. You know, I talking about Brogdon, we talked about the Bucs. The Bucs had a chance to re-sign Brogdon. Had his bird rights, had the control. They didn't. Why? Injury. So I think where he's at is perfectly, that 50 to 45 range is perfect for Malcolm Brogdon because he's so injury prone. The guy I struggled with in the top 50 was Jamal Murray. And I know he's been a top 50 player in the past, but the when you're looking at guards that come back from knee injuries, leg injuries, I, I have a hard time putting all my marbles in them. I think he is, he probably is a top 50 player. There's arguments to be made about some guys at that same position, but you know, I, I'm a little bit lower than I probably on both you and Steven, but I, I think he is kind of in that range of that 55 to 45. I don't know if he's top 50 yet for me. I, I have to see it before I make a, uh, cause I, I've just watched Derek Rose and, and, Wesley Matthews, those guys that have been just derailed by injuries. So, and then, yeah, I, I, Clint Capella is perfectly rated. I think he's the 50th most valuable player. He's top 10 center. He catches lobs. He does all the little things, rebounds, plays interior defense. It's not, he's not going to stand out, but he's also not going to be, uh, he's not going to stand out for like great or bad, I should say. So I, I, I agreed with 50 through 46. The one I just, Jamal Murray was one I kind of raised my eyebrow at. So. I, I will say when it comes to Murray too, I do, there's always going to be concerns when a guy has a major injury like that. And will he come back where, where he needs to be? As far as his skill set goes, he's not the most athletic guy in the world to begin with. He's more so that plays on the ground, um, finishes layups let, more so than dunks, um, good three-point shooter. So I think he can come back and still be in around that range. Um, it's, What's difficult when you're in the offseason like this is like, okay, is Jamal Murray coming back in February? Is he coming back later in the season? How's he going to come back? And if you leave him off the list entirely, then then it's difficult because then people are like, well, where's Jamal Murray? Well, he's hurt. Well, when he's playing, he's – so I, I get what you mean. Like you could put him, I think, anywhere to 60. You could put him at 40, and I think it's it's open to interpretation there as far as his skill set goes and everything. So he is a tough one to rate. 
I, I think what you're going to see with Jamal Murray moving forward, I think you're going to see Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic take more of that playmaking, ball handling skills, and Jamal's going to be more of a spot-up guy running off screen, stuff like that. So I'm excited to see what the Nuggets are when they're fully healthy uh, with that uh, trio. And the one player I was actually curious to get your thoughts on was Fred Van Vliet. How do you feel with him being at 46, given he is on one of the the lesser teams in the Eastern Conference, but we have seen him perform well in years past? You know, he was an instrumental part of that Raptors championship. Uh, Zach Levine is a guy I think of, you know, he was on a lesser team forever, but he was a top 50 player. So he can score, he can shoot the three, you know, so I, I think it's very properly rated for Fred Van Vliet. I would not put him as high as top 40 because he doesn't have that impact that some of the top 40 players have, but he is a very, very, very polished secondary option off the ball. So I, I or on the ball even. So I, I really liked the spot you had him at. I, I'd have him probably 45 to 52. I, I, I think that was a very properly rated guard. So. Yeah. He, he's just a guy that gets forgotten about, especially because he is in Toronto. And I think people have forgotten about them a bit now, especially since this is post championship. We've seen Lowry move on. We saw Kawhi move on. DeRozan got traded. So they, they are in a bit of a different spot moving forward. But uh, we'll move on now, talking about players 45 through 41. So at 45, we're talking about a guy that was in the NBA Finals last year in DeAndre Ayton. And a couple years in his, into his career, people people were starting to get concerned about whether he was going to turn the corner and, and truly be a valuable piece for this Phoenix Suns franchise especially when you're the number one pick. I think that's the biggest thing was that when you're number one, you're expected to be that guy. And we saw stretches last year where he was absolutely phenomenal. The regular season stats of 14 and 10, I don't think do enough justice for him. Um, he was a key part of that Phoenix Suns team. He's a 62% shooter, so very efficient around the basket. He also is over a block a game guy, so he's solid on the defensive end which I tried to value more on my list was guys that play both ways because we see a lot of guys that are just scorers and then they're nowhere to be found on the defensive side. That's not DeAndre Ayton. I think that he has an impact on both sides. At 44, CJ McCollum. Um, Steven had him at 39, so I was a little bit lower on CJ. But the numbers, there's no denying the numbers. 23, 4, and 4. Um, I think he puts up great numbers. Um He's Damian Lillard's number two, and he does a very good job of that. He's a guy that could go for 30 every other night. Um, but I do find that he disappears sometimes in games. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that Dame plays, because a lot of it is when it gets to that Dame time, he's just he's holding on to the ball and it, and it sticks. So I don't think that that's necessarily a knock on CJ. It's just more so the system that he plays in. But I think 44 is fine for him. I'd love to have him on a championship team is a third option, but in Portland, he's their number two. Colin Sexton at 43. I was just talking about guys that don't play defense. Colin Sexton's one of those guys. Like, I mean, let's be honest, but he's also a guard that is expected to play a position, probably out of position given his size. A lot of the time they're playing him at the shooting guard spot and he's more so built to be a point guard. So when you're undersized, but you're a 24 point per game scorer, there's a ton of value for that in the NBA. And so, Yes, he puts up numbers on a bad team, but you can't fault him for that. He's just going out and playing on the team, and it's up to the franchise in order to put players around him. So I think twenty or 43 for Sexton for a 24-point-per-game guy is valuable. Pascal Siakam at 42. He was a tough one for me to rate because 
it's that Raptors thing again of like, okay, is, is he that guy that Toronto wants him to be? Or is he, is he a second fiddle, third fiddle to a team? That being said, 21, seven and four, 45% shooting is a bit lower than I'd like to see for a power forward like Siakam, who typically scores mostly in the paint. And he's only a 29% three point shooter yet. He takes quite a few per game. So uh, Steven didn't like Siakam as much as I did, but I, I have him at 42, probably just my Canadian bias once again. Then you've got Tobias Harris at 41, 19, six and three, a 51% shooter. What I like about Tobias is I think you could plug him in to 25 teams in the NBA and he would be able to find his role given what he brings to the table as a bigger guy that can shoot. He rebounds well. He can, he can make that extra pass to get guys open. So that's why I have Tobias at 41. What do you make of 45 through 41? Is there a player that you're a bit higher on, lower on? What do you make of it? Uh, I, I love Sexton over McCollum. The whole blind resumes thing is big in the offseason, and those two are very well uh, compared with the blind resumes. Sexton averages more points, better score, efficient score. So it, it, McCollum's on the better team success where Sexton's a better player, individual player, I should say. So I, I love the Sexton over McCollum. Uh, that's something I've been on for a while. Uh, I personally, I, I think Siakam might be a little too low, um, and, and and this is why you put him on a a. Now this is going to sound goofy, but like a Warriors or a team that generally needs him, he has a role that he you know we saw like when he was playing with Kawhi. I think he was a little bit higher than forty two. Granted, it was because of team success, but he also had a little bit more of a role as that number two that's going to play D. He can do a little bit off the dribble. He's going to play some post play. So I, I, maybe a. Uh, if there was a Kyle Lowry still there or uh, even a Kawhi, and, and these are ifs and buts, but Pascal Siakam, I think, is a better player than 42. I just think we're seeing him, his his negatives come out to play a little bit more because his usage rate's higher. So he, that shooting, the the spin, he kind of has the same little argument that Giannis has where he doesn't have a bag, where he has like a move set. So I think like, I think if he's in the right system, he's a little bit higher. That's what I'd say about Pascal, so. No, and, and I agree about the usage rate thing because the issue was when Kawhi left, they really thought Siakam was going to be not necessarily the next Kawhi, but they thought that he could get pretty close to being that. And Masai Ujiri was very high on him, Nick Nurse very high on him as well. And he just hasn't got to that next level yet. And maybe it's just he needs a, a couple more years to develop that bag, but he is also a little bit older of a player as well. So it's going to be tough for him to develop that. And I, I do think if he's in a better system, we don't see him having to make those spin moves all the time because the unfortunate thing is when the game is on the line, Pascal Siakam's just not the guy that you want taking the final shot. I'd way rather see Fred Van Vliet, who's lower on my list, taking those shots. And that's not a shot at Siakam. I think he's a better overall player than Van Vliet, but I just think it, it's it's the system that they're in and they're asking him to do more more than he's capable of and more than I think he necessarily wants to in Toronto by taking those last second shots. And it gets amplified when you're the number one option too. Like, make no mistake about it, they kept playing highlights of him doing that spin move and everyone kept talking about like, does he do anything besides spin? And and that's probably just the, the toxicity that is Twitter. But uh, I do think that, Siakam could be higher. I'd like to see him develop a bit more this year. I think if he takes the next step, Toronto could maybe make a run at the play-in game at the very least, but uh, it'll be interesting there. The one player I was curious your thoughts on was DeAndre Ayton, given 
the numbers are a bit lower than some of these guys on this list, but his impact was definitely there in the finals. You know, I think it's he's a pretty comparable player to Clint Capella right now, and I think that's why you're tra- you're trajecting him to take that next step to develop a post move, a couple post moves, and be a, a back to the basket scorer playing around Chris Paul, Devin Booker. So I totally understand why he's at 45. I think if you swapped him and Capella, if Capella's playing with Chris Paul, I think Aiton's at 50 and Capella's at 45. You know, I think they're pretty comparable players and they're pretty they're in comparable systems. So I. I think Aiton just gets the nod because he is a younger player and you're projecting that next step. So, Yeah, that that was kind of my mindset on it was a bit younger, can still develop. Capella, I think, is the player that he's going to be. Yeah, he might develop another move or two over his career, but to me, he is the guy that he's going to be moving forward. And that's still a top 50 player. Like, that's not a slight against him. I just think, obviously, you got to give the edge to the younger guy. Now we're going to move on to 40 through 36. So Kyle Lowry at 40. uh, Steven had him at 45. The numbers last year were really solid, though, 17, 5, and 7. I think a lot of people are projecting that this is where Kyle Lowry starts to go downhill as he's getting older. um, But he's still a 39% three-point shooter. I don't think his defense gets talked about enough. Like, he, he takes that key charge. He makes that key steal. He hits the key shot. So that's why I had Lowry at 40, because I still think he's going to have an impact on that Miami team, a team that needs a leader at that position too, because if you've got Hero and Robinson are kind of the up and comers on that team, you need a guy that's going to help them and develop them. And I think Lowry's a guy to to come in and, and he's a great heat culture type of guy. 39 was Christian Wood for me, 21, nine and one. Um, I just really thought that he was, he was on pace for me to be the most improved player last year before he went down with an injury. But when he was playing, I mean, he looked like an absolute steal uh, for that team. And so overall, just really, really excited for Christian Wood. I think he's going to have a great impact on that team moving forward. He's a piece that Houston can really build around moving forward. And that's something that they need after the way that James Harden left last year, which I don't think enough people talk about. 38, Nikola Vucevic. That Steven was lower on him because he was at 47. Vucevic was still an all-star. Like he's still that guy. He's a 21 and 13 or 23 and 11 guy, 47% shooter, 40% from three. Defensively, he's nothing special. Like he, he's actually a pretty big liability defensively, which is why I have him, I still think low, because if he was even a half decent defender you'd be talking about him as a potential top 30 player when you're looking at a 23 and 11 guy. So the defense hurts him. That's why I have him a bit lower at 38, 37, Brandon Ingram. Now Steven had him at 33. I'm not as high on Ingram, but that's not to say I don't love Brandon Ingram as a player. He's a 23, five and five guy. He's he's Zion's second option, but he's a legit all-around player. When he left the Lakers, everyone thought that he was a bust and he was this and he was that. He's turned out to be a great NBA player. If the Pelicans can start to get to a winning situation, he's going to be an all-star down the road as well when you look at his numbers. So Ingram at 37 and at 36, it pains me. I've got De'Aaron Fox. He was 31 on Stevens. He's 36 on mine. The numbers are there, 25-7-4. and four. He's pretty efficient. I'd love to see him on 29 other teams in the NBA. I'd rather see him in Cleveland than I would 
see him playing for the Sacramento Kings, but I want to see him really lead this team to be something competitive in the Western Conference because the 11 seed, 12 seed just isn't getting it done anymore. And they've added Halliburton. They've still got Buddy Heald and they've got some other promising players there. So I'd like to see De'Aaron get this team a little bit further along. Um, so I have him at 36 just because I, I think they should be winning a few more games with him. So 40 through 36, what do you make of the list? You know, the couple couple names pop out right away. Nikola Vukovic is another guy, I think, uh, we talked about with Siakam. If he's in the right role, if he's playing alongside of a defensive power forward, you see Nikola Vukovic rated a little bit higher because those defensive numbers, the product of the system, are a little better than what they were in Chicago. You look at the team in Chicago, the next best defender was Patrick Williams, who was a rookie. So Thaddeus Young wasn't the best defender. So I think some of that came from the system that he was in, those defensive numbers. So I think you're going to see him take a, a little bit more of a defensive step uh, with guys like Lonzo and Patrick Williams. And I know they brought Tony Bradley in, who's a lanky defender too. So I, I'm interested to see uh, what that holds for him at the uh, this next season. I, I personally think Kyle Lowry's rated a little low. I, you know, I think just because the winning, he's in, he's in Miami, De'Aaron Fox is uh, 36. I, I, I'd probably swap them in my opinion. So you're higher on Lowry than you are Fox. Does a lot of that have to do with his resume of, of being a winner and being that kind of leadership guy or what is it for you? He's led some pretty bad teams to some high, and, and this might just be a resume thing. And this is kind of the whole, are you paying a guy for what he's done or what he's about to do? So I, I think what Lowry's done kind of garners a little bit higher of a rating. And I think what he's going to do with uh, Miami is going to be better than what De'Aaron Fox is going to do with Sacramento. Now, if they were to swap positions, if De'Aaron Fox was in Miami, Kyle Lowry's in Sacramento, I think, I think Sacramento might be a little better just because of that leadership that Kyle Lowry brings to the table and that defense, the, just the defensive intangible stuff that De'Aaron Fox is not developed yet because he's not played as long as Lowry. So I'm kind of leaning towards the veteran over Fox, but I think both of those players are top 40 players. I just think Lowry's veteran expertise, the captain, the defensive charges, all the stuff you talked about, I think weighs a little bit more to me because uh, I saw a, a veteran point guard, we'll talk about him here shortly, Drew Holiday, take a team to the next level rather than Eric Bledsoe. So that's kind of where I'm thinking. That's fair for sure. And I do hope that Vucevic's defense improves. I don't think he's going to be asked to do as much. You might even see his numbers dip a bit because he's got DeRozan, because he's got Levine. But I think he, his impact's still going to be the same on that team. When you're a center that hits 40% of your threes, I mean, that's huge for an offense when you have a guy that can step out and hit those shots. So we're going to move on now. We're breaking down 35 through 31. So at 35, DeMar DeRozan, 21-7-4. and four. He's now heading to Chicago. We finally get to see him on a winning team again. San Antonio just wasn't that team. Um, when Aldridge was leaving, if Rudy Gay was on the downturn, and then you've got DeRozan there, it was just an unfortunate situation for him getting traded from that Toronto team to there. But I think what we did see from him was he became a more well-rounded basketball player in distributing and rebounding. Popovich got him playing more defense as well. So DeRozan at 35. At 34, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, Steven had him at 37. I've got him at 34. A 2012 and nearly seven guy for an Indiana team that we just talked about. They're not really doing a lot in the offseason to help him out, but I still think he's a phenomenal talent. If Indiana's in the playoff hunter, a playoff team, 
You might see him make an all-star team again this year because of that, but uh, Sabonis at 34 for me. 33 is Rudy Gobert, 14 and 13, a guy the numbers don't look great there, but a 67% from the field score. He's a defensive player of the year. He's that anchor for that Utah team. What he brings on the defensive side is second to none. I think he's the best rim protector in the NBA as much as people like to poke fun at him. I just think that he's a really solid defender and he does his job well of catching lobs and finishing around the rim as well. At 32, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Stevens 29th player, 32nd for me. Once again, Canadians are coming for my head for having Shea a little bit lower on this list, but 23, 6, and 4, just on a really bad basketball team right now. Oklahoma City, they drafted a lot of young players, but and they were even chopping Shea in the offseason. So uh, I'd love to see him in a different situation as well because I think his talent is being wasted right now in Oklahoma City. People would say empty stats on a bad team, but I really think he's that good. He distributes really well, uh, and he's one of the better rebounding guards as well. And then at 31 is Ben Simmons. I mean, 14-7-7, 55% shooter. Uh, Can we really call it a shooter? I guess score for uh, Ben Simmons. But one of the best on-ball defenders in the world. I mean, that's what people don't talk about enough is he is that impactful on the defensive side. And so I think he's appropriately rated at 31. I don't think he cracks the top 30 until he develops that jumper for me because I think he can be a bit of a liability out there when he's not able to at least knock down a mid-range, a three-pointer, or any of that. So that's why I have been at 31. What do you make of the list? I agree with 35, 34, and 33. There's an argument to be made where Sabonis over Gobert I, just because of the offensive numbers and what he brings. But I, I, I think that's I think they should be probably tied to the hip right after one another, right before one another, however you may have it. I think I'd have Shea over Ben Simmons. And I and I think if you were to ask all 30 NBA teams who they'd rather have, I think they'd take Shea Gilgis-Alexander for this next season too. And that's the only reason why. I think Simmons is a great defender. He brings a lot to the table, but we saw his – We've seen his faults get exposed time after time after time. And Shea is what? This is his fourth year in the league, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. so like, I, I think if you ask all 30 teams next season who you want, Shea or Simmons, I think they all say Shea. Like I said, I totally understand Simmons because I'm a Simmons guy. I think Simmons needs to get out of there. I think Simmons could be a great, like, point guard, small forward, like Lamar Odom and LeBron kind of hybrid type deal, just not as good as a shooter. And I just think Shea's better right now. I really do. I think Simmons is not developing, and I think Shea is. So, Well, I think obviously if Shea goes to Philly, then I think it's obvious like Philly would be an instant contender because of the way that he plays and, and he can go and close out games and, and help Joel and Tobias in the scoring aspect of things. I just think – Shea isn't a great defender for me, so I think that's why I gave a bit of the edge. I tried to value defense a little bit more in my list because I find it is something that gets left out on a lot of people's lists. So that would be the only reason. And it's it's it was so close for me between Ben and Shea because it's like one so great defensively, one so great offensively. And so I just leaned more so the defensive route there. So that's going to take us then to the last five players and it's that we're starting to get into the cream of the crop as far as NBA players go, and we're not even in the top 25 yet. So at number 30, Drew Holiday. I mean, 17, 6, and 4, one of the best two-way players in the league. 
And, you know, he had some shooting struggles in the playoffs last year, but his impact still of guarding the team's best player, of what he did in the distributing front, he didn't need to be the primary scorer. When you've got Giannis, who's going to just run the paint, when you've got Middleton that's hitting the shots down the stretch that you need, Drew had that crucial steal in, in the finals that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Everything was about Giannis and how great Middleton was. That's an absolute series-changing move that he had there for them, and it turned into one of the more memorable plays from that series. So for me, Drew Holiday at 30, he's just he's an NBA champion now, and I think he deserves to be in the top 30. John Morant at 29. Steven's 30, mine 29, so we are very close on John Morant. We saw his coming out party in the playoffs last year. I mean, he was 19-7-4, which doesn't sound incredible in the regular season. We saw him consistently dropping 30, 40-point games on a very good Utah team. So I think John Morant, we're going to see him. I think he could ascend into the top 25 this year. I just want to see him do it more over a consistent 82-game schedule and see him do it once again in the playoffs. At 28, Bam Adebayo, 18-9-5. I think he's... He's a top three center for me in the NBA. Like, I really love what he brings to the table as far as on his defensive side. He's one of the best passers from the big man spot. He's a good rebounder. And he's developing as a scorer because the bag was a little bit limited even when the Heat went to the finals. I think he's starting to improve there, hit more of the mid-range shot. So that's why I've got Bam at 28. Zach Levine at 27. Um, Steven's 26, my 27, 27, five and five, one of the true breakout stars in the league. And this was a tough one for me because the player that I have it incorrect once again on my graphic, but Jalen Brown at 26 for me, what I like about Jalen Brown is that for me, he's a top five defender at the guard position. And we saw his offense last year really shine. He was a 24 point per game guy. So while he's a little bit lower in the scoring department compared to Levine, what I think he brings defensively gives him the slight edge. And maybe it's the system that he's in, but I really do like Jalen Brown at 26. So, Cole, what do you make of this? these last five players? Drew at 30 kind of raised some eyebrows. Uh, Drew over Ja, kind of the whole thing with Lowry and Fox. That's kind of – that's – pretty comparable there, but I think they're both 29, 30, they're top 30 players, both of them for this next season. I personally, I think I'd do Bam at 26, Jalen 27, and then Levine 28. Cause I just think what Bam brings to the table is integral to what the heat do. Stopping Giannis, stopping Jason Tatum at the rim, that in that interior defense that we have talked about that is so crucial to a playoff team. He kind of led that anchored that heat team through the playoffs uh, in the bubble, him and Jimmy. So I think, I think I'd have Bam at 26, and then I'd slide everyone back one, in my opinion. But I think that 30 through 26, I I agree with where we have the players. There's some readjustments I may have, but I, I, I think they're pretty solid list overall. So, My one concern with Bam was we saw the Heat last year. The one issue that they ran into was they had some early season injuries. And I know Bam was, a, was one of those players for a little bit there, but Jimmy missed a lot of time. They even had Duncan missing time. I would have liked to have seen him step up a little bit more when those guys were out because there was a lot of nights where I felt like Bam wasn't taking advantage of matchups when he really could have. I think I just think mentally he needs to to be more in the scoring mindset for them on some nights because if Jimmy's off or this year if Kyle's off, like 
he's going to have a lot of matchups in that Eastern Conference that he can take advantage of because of his skill set. So I'd just like to see him do that a little bit more for the Heat this year. And they're going to be a much more well-rounded roster. So I think he is in a pretty good spot in order to do that. Um, so why were you a bit lower on Levine when it came to when it came to this list over those other two? Defense and uh, pedigree. I, I, you know, he's this great. You talk about empty calories. I think he was one of the biggest empty calories players there was these past couple of years. He, he was 25, 25 a game, but they didn't win anything. So, you know, I, I, I'd, it was hard for me to value what he brought to the table. It kind of felt like what Brooker brought to the table forever with the Suns. So maybe we'll see the Bulls take that next leap with Levine. I just think he needed a point guard. I think he is a top 30 player this year because they have that supporting cast around him. He doesn't have to do as much defensively, doesn't have to create offense. I think you're going to see him take that next step, that Booker level step. But I just don't, the deep, the defense, and it just felt like empty calories for me these past couple of years. So I can see the empty calories argument for sure, because I think if Chicago doesn't make those moves, like if DeRozan doesn't come there, if Lonzo doesn't come there, would I be valuing Levine as highly? Because then I would, I think I would view him in that De'Aaron Fox light where it's like, Okay, but he's putting up these numbers on a team that's not winning. Like Fox is 25, 7, and 4, but Sacramento's consistently the 12. And that's where Levine falls in the Eastern Conference. Now, if they vault up to that five or six seed, and he is the key guy, because DeRozan has been an alpha in his career. Vucevic has been an alpha in his career. So can he maintain that alpha spot, or is he going to defer more to a guy like DeRozan or a guy like Vucevic. So I'm really intrigued to see what happens with that Chicago team. I do think that Jalen Brown doesn't get enough love. He's a guy that gets forgotten because of Jason Tatum, but we saw what happened when Boston didn't have him late in the season. And I know he had a pretty significant injury, but he's going to come back at hundred percent. And I really think that he is poised for another solid year and potential all-star years. So I Cole, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was a ton of fun talking hoops with you. Uh, tell the folks at home where they can find your work. You can find my work anywhere you listen to podcasts. Nothing But Airtime is what it's called. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Nothing But Airtime, N-O-T-H-I-N-B-T-A-I-R-T-I-M-E. Right now we've got the uh, fictional basketball characters going one-on-one. We've got a bracket going on, so you can go check out that one. You definitely have to check it out. I'm curious to see Clifford the Big Red Dog. Is he taking is he taking it home? He should be. I mean, he's an absolute he's got the Shaq level body and he's got four limbs. It's gonna be tough to stop, man. It's gonna be really tough to stop. Another guy, Thanos is another guy everyone's all over. So I mean I'm interested to see it. So Ooh, Thanos big red dog. That's what I'm hoping for in the final. I hope that I hope that they don't match up before that, but uh we'll have to see where that ends up falling. So you can find all of Cole's work as well as mine at offtheballnetwork.com. Go and check out all the great content over at Off The Ball Network. We've got a ton of NFL stuff coming up. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Southeast Division. We're going to break down Stevens players 25 through 11 as well. Check out all of our social media accounts for Off The Ball Network. Edgar does a great job over there running those accounts. And you can follow me on Twitter at BTG NBA pod as well. Thanks so much, Cole, once again, for coming on the show. And you have been listening to the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio and the Breaking the Game show. And we'll see you guys next week.